0: This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's cracking, beer lover? What up? Oh, hey, we need coasters.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess we do. Yep, yeah, Clayton's running to get coasters. We forgot them. It is also, apologies, it is after midnight. When we were recording this, um, just because it was the only time we could make it work with both of our schedules.
0: And it's a Tuesday, yo. It is,
1: and we've both been up since like 5.30.
0: And we both have to get up and do more crap tomorrow. Yeah, I got
1: to get up at 5.30 again tomorrow.
0: Uh, Yeah, same. And I still have
1: work. I still got to edit tomorrow's podcast when we finish this.
0: I did all my wheelhouse work earlier today, so I don't have to do that today. Good for you. I get to be able to sleep
1: my wall work. I, and gratefully. So I love what I do, but it feels like it never ends. Yeah. No, There's always something, but I'm extremely grateful. And this is a great opportunity for us to say, this is episode 50. We, boop, boop. we have reached so many more people than we. I thought we could reach in year one.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we Once have, we
1: changed our perspective. Yeah, I I never wanted to be a digital church. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know that I want that to be our end game anymore. But just seeing the way we're impacting people and hearing some of your stories that we get in emails or whatever, Instagram, like just all of it. I could not be more happy with year one of Wellhouse Church. Agreed. And it's because of you guys.
0: Absolutely it is. And and this sounds like this normal YouTuber podcast thing that like yeah. people say, but like and, and maybe those people mean it. Like I, I, I don't know. But I know that I have a deep love for you guys.
1: Every bit. And and here's like, the crazy oh my thing. Gosh. Here's the crazy thing. I bet you didn't even know this. Do you know how many unique individuals we've reached in year 1? I don't know. I wouldn't expect you would. Um
0: I could venture a guess but I'm probably wrong. Go ahead. 500,000.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You think really ambitious of us. Yeah. <laughs> 500. <000. laughs> That's cute. Try again, honey. (laughs) Uh, 20,000. 20,000.
0: Realistically. No. No, not even?
1: No. But you also got to realize that the average church in America is 83 people.
0: Mm.
1: That's the average church in America. Yeah, the average church in America has 83 people and touches the lives of about 120 a year.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, beer lovers. I don't look at our podcast analytics. <laughs> he does I've got other analytics i got to look
1: at. <laughs> That's okay. Just on a closer look alone, we have reached 624 unique individuals. This year? hmm
0: On a closer look, what about Pines? No, perspective? as of
1: today. As of today? As of today. We've reached 624 unique individuals. On Pints and Perspectives, because of the. that's the podcast we're on right now. Give me one second to go to the analytics page. Beer lovers. As of today, there were 400 of you.
0: We love you guys. All of you. And... And you know, it's it's funny because me and Cullen were were joking about this the other day and we were about to have to talk about these beers.
1: We are I'm about getting to thirsty.
0: <laughs> but me and Cullen were talking about this the other day. And uh about how we feel like we have to be camera ready all the time. Yep. Cullen is because like he records content like randomly sometimes.
1: I do. Sometimes I'll just get up and I'm like, today's a good day to film content. Yeah. And I film a bunch of content that you guys never see.
0: Yeah. I just sit here, but he's got a bunch of drafts that he doesn't use.
1: Well, Um, and it's just, it's just me. I mean, number one, I grew up before I ever started Wellhouse Church. I was thinking about this the other day. Before I ever started Wellhouse Church, I had preached over a thousand sermons, mm -hmm. like in a very conventional, traditional church model. Yep. Going to Wellhouse, I had to change everything, Mm -hmm. About the way that I preach sermons. Yeah. And so it just got me into this habit. Of like, hey, dude, you you really need to learn how to exist in front of a camera.
0: So I get that. Um, because now I feel like I have to be social ready. Mm. Because sometimes I'll just get like this urge. Like, oh, yo, this needs to go on our story. Yep. Um, it's
1: like, that's why I said like... And at Woolhouse, we borderline have a policy. Like, at any given moment, you need to be camera ready.
0: Yeah, almost. And, and also, at this point, like, we're starting to grow in the Houston area, too. We with are. The way that our socials are growing. We are. Um, and so, I never know if I'm out, like, having a drink or something, if somebody's going to come up and be like, hey, yeah. aren't you that dude from the thing? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and so, like now we're having to think about these sorts of things Mm -hmm. and it's because of you guys. And it's, that's not a bad thing. No, it's it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing that the Lord is using and we're so happy. Yeah. And, and we just hope that we can continue making content for you guys. And
1: if you want us to, and you want to help us, obviously you can donate to us.
0: Obviously that's one way,
1: but, It's free. It's free to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's free to like our podcast. It's free to give us a review. It's free to comment. It's free to do all those things. And that helps us immensely with the algorithms. It's
0: also free for you to do all the social things. Yeah. Follow Um, us
1: on Instagram. Follow
0: us on Facebook. Do the go hop in the community group.
1: Yeah, On Facebook too, the
0: Pines Perspectives Community Group.
1: All of that's Um, a very easy way for you to support us, and we're grateful for the ways that you currently support us. And now we're going to quickly talk about beer because I really want to open mine. I've had this beer before. It's so You've had that one before. I have had this one before.
0: Okay, so talk about it. Tell me about it. So
1: it's called the Sippin' Pretty Fruited Sour by Odell Brewing Company. Beer lovers, at this point, you know I'm a two-phase man. IPAs and sours. I really enjoy both of them. Specifically, stone fruit sours. Mm-hmm. Of which this is.
0: So, I just got to say. Go ahead. Hold that up to your face real quick. The can. It looks pretty on you. Ah, <laughs> that's
1: low-hanging fruit. You're better than that, Clayton. This is. But from- sometimes you got to reach
0: for it, bro. Like... <laughs>
1: This is from Odell Brewing Company, and they are actually in Fort Collins, Colorado. Okay. And um, I spent quite a bit of time. I went on vacation for a week to Fort Collins, Colorado, and it really is the brewing capital of the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. This is the description. I was looking for- Oh. It's only 4.5 ABV.
0: Wow, oh, that's actually pretty low.
1: This is what the description says. More of a mantra than a beer. Sippin' Pretty is our fruited sour ale loaded with our unique blend of acai, guava, mm. and elderberry and balanced with a delicate addition of Himalayan pink sea salt. Ooh. This beer pops with a bright ruby color and a refreshing tart finish. So sit back, relax, relax. And sip on something pretty.
0: So you know I'm not a sour guy, but that sounds fantastic. It's
1: really good. That it's sounds really fa- good.
0: That little bit of pink Himalayan I think is going to make everything just pop.
1: It's really good, man.
0: Um, all right. So I've got the Galveston Bay Beer Company Blueberry Blonde. Um, obviously it's blonde ale. Um. Texas beaches, well, if if you didn't know, Galveston is not too far from us.
1: Galveston is about 40 minutes.
0: Yeah, it it ain't too far. Um, And it says, Texas beaches aren't quite the same as Florida's. Industry replaces most condos and our sand needs a whitener. But (laughs) one kiss from our blueberry blonde ale and you'll think you're in the Caribbean. This coastal treat... Delivers a delight, thirst-quenching flavor, uh, starting with fresh blueberries before fermentation. Kick off your sandals, get your feet wet, and be seduced by this blonde.
1: <laughs> nice. I love it. I actually, that's a beer that I really was anxious to try. So, uh, I oh. bought all the beer for the next three weeks of PMP.
0: It's actually brewed in Dickinson.
1: Texas? Yeah. In Dickinson. Well, apologies, listener, that Clayton just yelled in the I'm mic. I'm sorry. I'll try to deal with some of that in post. But, but um, f-
0: I'm shocked. I didn't even know there was a brewery in Dickinson. Yeah, Dickinson's so small.
1: For perspective, Dickinson is very small. It's a, uh, I guess now it's a 4A high school, uh, if you're in Texas and know about the UIL classifications. And it's like twenty minutes outside of Galveston city limits.
0: I've been on the road that this brewery is on.
1: That doesn't shock me at all. You spent quite a bit of time
0: in that I, area. I did, but I didn't even know that this existed. Um it's six point three ABV. Um so yeah. All right. Um I'm who's okay. the brewer? Galveston Bay Beer Company.
1: Oh. Okay. That makes sense. Their brewery is actually... Oh. Wait, you said it's in Dickinson?
0: That's what this is.
1: That must not be the same brewery. There's a brewery on... uh, It's four blocks off the seawall in Galveston. Yeah. You see it? Yep, I see it. There's a brewery... That's like four blocks off the seawall in Galveston, um, on the east side of the island. That I was thinking that was, and that's not it. All right. Well, cheers, buddy. Cheers. Let's try I guess. these.
0: Let's go. Ooh, that's very blueberry. That is very blueberry. Oh yeah. On those.
1: I really like this flower because, if you didn't know, I really love elderberry. Um, I really, really love elderberry and elderflower, and this is just super elderberry prevalent. How do you like yours?
0: Tastes like a blueberry muffin. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. It's so Taste good. swap? Yeah, let's go. I love that.
1: Ooh, it <laughs> smells like a buttered blueberry muffin. Oh it's my god!
0: So good. <laughs> yeah, see that just smells like a sour to me.
1: Oh my god,
0: that is fantastic, <laughs> isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, that is so good.
0: Okay, so your sour probably the best sour that I've had that I or that I enjoy. The acai really comes through? Yep. Um and I love acai. Love it.
1: Chocolate covered acai. Oh. Mm-hmm.
0: Fantastic. Yep. Um and so like that's like that's kind of the back note that I get instead of yep. that artificial kind of sour flavor yep. that I typically get from sours.
1: Yep. That's really prevalent in peach sours. Yep. I don't know why they use artificial, like that, that peaches artif- are not expensive.
0: Yeah. That artificial thing that I get, I hate it.
1: Yeah. I, I feel it. that. And um, it's magnified by the heavy carbonation of yep. sours.
0: Yep. Um, but that's really good. I actually really like that. What, where, where are you rating that? Yeah,
1: so I'm I'm debating between a seven nine or eight one. Um,
0: I need one more sip because that really kind of yeah my palate up.
1: Well, and then that's what I'm thinking too because that I want to rate that one though. Um, it's in the category of a blonde, don't, right?
0: Don't rate it before I rate it. Okay, but, but that yeah, that's what it's in that, the category. That, of you
1: want to put it in blonde category, right? It is a blonde. I, I know. So. Uh. Yeah, I think I know where I want to rate that one.
0: Uh, I think I know where I want to rate it, too. You're going to think I'm crazy. I'm thinking
1: 9.3. Oh, yeah, you're way more generous than I was. And
0: um, the category of a blonde? Absolutely. This is unique. It's delicious. They're uh, hitting all the right things for me. I really
1: like the bombshell blonde. yeah um, not a blonde. Um, yeah. Um, so for me I'm putting that I'm putting that blueberry blonde an 85. Okay. Um,
0: uh, we're not too the the standard deviation there ain't too yeah, far.
1: Yeah, well especially since you start all your beers at a 5 and I start all mine at a 7. Yeah. Um so yeah, we're not I don't think we're that far apart. We're um, not.
0: This for me it it falls in the category of a blonde yep 100 uh, yep but it's unique enough because for me blondes get boring
1: uh yes i would say that uh
0: which is what jumps this to the front of the line for me
1: agreed my my go-to blonde is actually the Carbach love street uh yeah and it's boring
0: it, it can be boring
1: It's not, there's nothing that jumps out of the can at you that goes, man, this is an amazing blonde, other than it being just a high quality, regular blonde.
0: The thing about this, though, and it's because I've never had this in a blonde, is it's buttery. Yeah, I was thinking,
1: where do you think they're getting the butter flavor?
0: I have no idea. Maybe it's from the malt somehow, like the roasted malt. Like, I I, I, I don't know,
1: but it's buttery. I mean but well it tastes like a blueberry get, muffin. You could get something in like that 350 400 level Bond area. You'd have to get a small amount of it but it would you could get buttered toast kind of flavors. Uh, kind of. But initially
0: when I first tasted it it tasted like a buttered blueberry bagel. Yes. And then,
1: oh, yes,
0: yes. And then I kind of sat with it for a minute, but it was a little bit more OT yep. than, than a and bagel. Yeah, so you kind of resolve so,
1: yourself to a muffin? Yeah,
0: but yep. like it's somewhere in this space. It's a bagel right? often. It's bagel a bagel often. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something in between. Uh, listen, uh, beer, beer lover, if you can get your hand on this.
1: Yep. I got that at Total Wine, specifically the Total Wine in Memorial City.
0: Uh, I, I might be, we, we might be taking a trip down to Dickinson.
1: Uh, that was really good. My Sippin' Pretty, uh, I'm going to give it A1. I think it's really good. Um, I just, I think I wish the guava was a little bit more there. I don't really get it. I get a lot of acai, yeah. I get a lot of elderberry on the front. I just kind of wish the guava was uh, a little bit more prevalent.
0: So, for me, if I'm rating yours, I'm giving it a 7-1. Hey,
1: that's pretty good, considering you start all at 5.
0: Yeah, I start everything at 5, and I, I'm i not a sour guy.
1: You're not a sour guy.
0: Um, but based on the sours that I've had, rating it on the others, mm-hmm. um, that's not bad. I, I really enjoy it. Yep. Um, I, I would If somebody bought that for me, I'd drink it, and I wouldn't hate it.
1: Yep. Great job. By both brewers here.
0: Yeah, so what's your brewer?
1: Odell. Odell. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some marriage and divorce. 18, 19 (laughs) minutes into this podcast.
0: It happens, bro. It's almost
1: midnight. (laughs) (laughs) It is almost midnight. But...
0: Or it's past midnight now.
1: So, we've talked a lot about marriage and divorce and... One of the things I really want to talk about in this episode is... I really want to, like, talk about the narrative of divorce and remarriage. Like, what, what do we see throughout the whole of Scripture... On this issue. I'm actually deviating from Richard Hayes a little bit, but that's because he's he's only got enough left for one more chapter, and I don't think he... Well, I can't say that Richard Hayes didn't do a good job of anything because I think he does an amazing job of everything. Sure. I am definitely a Richard Hayes fanboy. He's it, a
0: total stand.
1: It's like... Richard Hayes and Tom Wright, depending on <laughs> where I wake up in the morning, I'm like, yeah, they're like one of them's greater all the time.
0: So I'm not as familiar with, with Hayes.
1: Well, that's because he doesn't but, do any of the popular level stuff.
0: Yeah. But for me, Tom, special love. Yeah. Special love. When
1: when you get to the point that you can handle Richard... um. And that's the deal, and Richard. Flip
0: through this multiple times. Yeah, like, he
1: just doesn't do any of the things that are that make him accessible the yeah. way that Tom does.
0: No, that's true.
1: Um, I've got, like, look. This is moral vision of the New Testament. Go to my Paul section. This last tall standing one here on the right echoes a letter of scriptures in Paul. No, the last on the right here.
0: Oh, this.
1: That book, I read that book before I read any of the other books that I could confidently say changed my life. There are 300 and some odd and change usage usages of echoes or quotations of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Nobody ever really talked to me about echoes. People talked to me about quotations, but nobody really talked to me about echoes. I read that book and saw all the echoes of Paul echoing, or the Bible project call these hyperlinks,, yeah. to the Old Testament, and was fully encapsulated by the idea. Then, like less than a year later, I read Moral Vision. Then, less than a year after that, that book literally right behind you, right next to Rediscovering Jesus, Echoes of Scripture and the Gospels, came out. It's also a massive book. Yeah. Richard Hayes and Tom Wright have equally had the same impact on my theology.
0: I am just now seeing it, but you have a lot of books by Richard Hayes up here.
1: Uh, just those three, right? Uh,
0: so you've got reading. Uh, reading oh, backwards. I forgot.
1: I've got reading backwards. Yeah. That's a Christology book. Yeah. Actually also very good, but I forgot about that one.
0: Yeah.
1: Did I've got as many books by him probably as I've got as I've got Tom, Wright. Yeah. Uh, that's not true. Cause no, Tom Wright got has quite multi. a bit more of Tom. Yeah. Cause I've uh, got, uh, yeah, yeah I probably, yeah. Tom's also written a whole lot more than he has. Yeah. No, that's the true. way that I say it all the time. And this is not a pejorative, but Tom Wright publishes every thought Tom Wright's ever had.
0: That's true. But Tom's thoughts are good, so I'm okay with him publishing.
1: Yeah, but Richard doesn't do that. Like, reading backwards... Um, pull, pull reading backwards out, Clayton. Is that published uh, by Baylor? Uh,
0: yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Reading backwards... Richard wasn't even ready to release it. But Baylor finally said, we must publish something or you owe us your advance back. Wow. It took so, he is such a perfectionist. Yeah. Nothing gets published until it's perfect. If he had his way. So,
0: yes. Which fundamentally means that he would never publish anything.
1: Correct. So the publishers always kind of have to pressure him. And when it comes out, it's amazing. As yeah. far as someone who writes prose, I think well, Richard Hayes' prose in writing is significantly better than Tom. This
0: book is honestly fantastic. Yeah. Um, it is...
1: Hence why I read it once almost a once a year.
0: It is fantastic. Um, it It's hard to... To comprehend some of the concepts, and it, it will step on your toes
1: sometimes. Um, well, and... and But that's, that's a good writer. He is a good writer. So I want to skip Richard for a little bit for this week, and I want to just talk about the narrative, okay? So the narrative of marriage really begins in Genesis. Yeah. Specifically in the creation of story of genesis one and two Yep. now here's the deal if we're really honest with ourselves those are two very different narratives yep genesis one they're created together the word for god is elohim it's this kind of plurality of godness that's making them together and the first command that's given to them
0: be fruitful and multiply
1: which puts it naturally in a conversation of marriage rather than companionship. Yeah. which Genesis 2, God makes Adam, and Adam is lonely, and so he makes Eve because Adam's lonely, and there's no command for multiplication and fruitfulness. They're two quite significant different stories when you think about it. The end result is the same, I think. That this is a life partner. Yeah. Which is even more evidenced as you go through the narrative. I personally am convinced that Esau is quote unquote hated when we get. Progressing through the narrative, which I think there are ways to resolve that about love and hate and the metaphor yeah. and how that's different in today's world than it was in the ancient world. That's a different conversation, too. It's a different conversation, but I do think that persist that that this idea of marriage persists through the narrative because Esau married someone from the wrong ethnic group.
0: Yeah, all of this that has been stated. Thus far, we've talked about before on this podcast. Yes,
1: on this podcast in different episodes. Pressing through, you end up into the Deuteronomy narrative in which you get a lot of teaching and decrees about marriage and relationships and sexual purity and integrity and there are some things that you would think are pretty common sense. Like, not to be crass, don't have sex with animals. <laughs> yeah. that That's explicitly stated in the text. No bestiality. That's the fancy word for it. But
0: And so that's the thing that's so funny, is you would think that God would not have to
1: state that. God says crap because people do crap. Exactly. As as terrible as that is. I mean, there's a whole chapter in the Torah that is dedicated to all the people of which you have natural familiar relationships with that you're not supposed to have sex with. Yep. And it's in this context of... In this conversation of sexual integrity, where marriage is introduced. Not the only place it's introduced, Mm -hmm. but I think the larger narrative is telling you that sexual integrity happens within the confines of marriage. Yeah. And then you have statements like in Malachi God hates divorce.
0: Yeah.
1: And we talked about this a little bit last week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, but this conversation and this idea around God and Israel's relationship of love, yep. this, which oddly enough, I wish I had my text. Um, I don't have my Hebrew Bible. It's really far over there. I don't have time to go get it. Micah 6 8. What does the Lord require of you?
0: Um, to, I'm sorry. It's so I late. I know it's late. Come on. Try um, hard. Walk humbly. That's
1: the last one. That's
0: the last one. Uh, seek justice and love mercy. Love mercy. Love mercy.
1: Interesting. Love mercy. If you were going to translate that in the most literal way possible, love mercy is actually translated love, love. Yeah. Those are the two different Hebrew words for love. Mm-hmm. The first one is kind of love of passion. Yeah. That's the one we think about in some kind of marriage context. And then the second word is the word for covenantal love. Yep the one where I've done something committing myself to you in a way Mm. that's unknown to anyone else. That's what covenantal love is. In the ancient world, lots of people had God, lots of people had creation narratives, lots of people had all kinds of things. What nobody except the Hebrew people had was a God who made a covenant with them in which he would tell them how he was going to act. That's covenantal love.
0: What the, what that is, and actually, I'm just going to say this. That's a DTR between mm-hmm. yeah. God and the Israelites. That is mm-hmm. a define the relationship talk yes. between God and the Israelites, which, hint, hint, listener, think about that.
1: <laughs> and so in this narrative of marriage, God seems to think that he's in a covenantal marriage with the people of Israel. So what happens when the people of Israel choose other gods over him, Mm -hmm. like Baal, the fertility Mm -hmm. God of the region of which legend said you needed Baal's blessing for the fertility of your agricultural grounds. Yeah. God tells them they're adulterous. And
0: there's a reason for
1: that a marital relationship word. Yep. This is the context of which you should be reading marriage. Now, this does come to a bit of a hiccup
0: mm.
1: in Ezra and Nehemiah.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Because it's twofold. Number one, Ezra and Nehemiah, go back and read the narrative. I don't have time to get into it. Or you could just go watch the Bible Project Yeah, they do a good video. Great job it's like that. a seven minute video of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah command mass divorce of all Israelites of any foreign women. Now, the reason they do so is because they're trying to guard the religious faith of Judaism. Yep. What you do with the way they enacted that is up to you.
0: Yep. Different conversation.
1: The text never says God commanded it. And moving forward, or actually before we move forward, there's lots of conversations and stories that pop up throughout the Old Testament that if you're a reader of narrative, a reader of fiction, you go, wait, that doesn't make sense there. Mm-hmm. That really doesn't make sense there. Numbers 25 is one of the places I would point you there. For time's sake, I'm not going to desell it out for you, but you could go read that and go, okay, another place that I would point you to is Genesis 1, actually. Yep. At the end of this narrative, the narrator, who I'm sorry, I don't think is Moses.
0: And honestly, lots of people don't, actually. Most people don't.
1: Like, that's, that's not like, a
0: common belief anymore. Not
1: anymore. That's that's the equivalent of saying Paul wrote Hebrew. Yeah. Genesis 1. The text says... And for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother be joined to his wife. At which point I would ask, what father, what mother, what husband and what wife? Yeah. They're the only two people in existence. Yep. Clearly, someone has narrated back into
0: the creation narrative.
1: The narrative. Endogamy the idea that someone should marry within their own people group yep. <clears throat> seems to have been read back into the narrative. Here's the problem. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Okay, that's Do the you, genealogy. The genealogy of Jesus. How many women are in the genealogy of Jesus? Six, right? Five.
0: Five. That's
1: close. How many of those women are not Israelites. Three. Three. Do you remember which ones? Tamar? Uh, No, Tamar's a Jew. Oh, shoot. Ruth. She was a Moabite. Ruth is a Moabite, which if you don't remember, Moab is the son of Lot's ancestral relationship with his oldest daughter. Yep. The Moabites are hated people. Enemies, even though they're Semitic... They are enemies of Israelites, and they're hated because of the travesty of their founding. So Ruth is one. I'm blanking on the others. Rahab. Rahab. She's a Canaanite woman. Yep. She's also a prostitute. Yep. So, once again, sexual issues going on with her. Yep. Third? I know as soon as you say it,
0: I'm going to... Dude, I'm so late. It's late. Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Wait, no. I thought... Ah. Why why would
1: you think so?
0: Because that's what I was told in Sunday school.
1: (laughs) Who's she married to before David comes in the picture? Um, Uriah. Uriah the what?
0: The Hittite.
1: Oh. Hittites are not.
0: They're not Jewish.
1: They're not Jews. They're not
0: Jews. And
1: based on the fact that he's a mid-level commander in the Jewish army of somewhat prominence, because Hittites are non-existent. I mean, they're a very small people group. Bathsheba is most likely a Hittite woman. Yep. Most likely she is not a Jew.
0: So that I never would have gotten there on my own.
1: Yeah, that's a Um, couple of master's degrees for you. Yeah,
0: but that is a very good perspective that I had never thought about before.
1: Yeah, so three of the five women listed in this narrative are foreign women. So, I feel pretty confident in saying the mass divorce commanded in Ezra and Nehemiah, not of God.
0: Well, that's one of those things that you do have to look at, especially because you, we do theology the way that we do. Through the narrative. Through the narrative. You, you kind of got to look at the Gospels and how it yep. reflects and all those things. And so, you have to determine your own space
1: on that. Correct. Um, I will but, also tell you, there are people in Wellhouse that do not agree with us. Agreed. Even board members that don't agree with us. And that's because Wallhouse is a place where it's free for you to within the The boundaries of of orthodoxy to come up with your own convictions of the narrative.
0: Within the creeds. We've talked about this extensively.
1: This is my position on the issue. And this is more so, honestly, really just to start the conversation progressing through the narrative we get to Jesus in the gospels Jesus has this narrative like hey you shouldn't get divorced except on the grounds yeah of infidelity of infidelity which we've also seen that even amongst the gospel writers and the new testament writers they're yep. not always in agreement
0: yeah it's so funny i was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday and I, I had never put all these pieces together. And, and this is just where church tradition fails. Um, we were sitting at coffee and she pulls out her Bible and she was like, oh, I wanted to read you something. And she pulls out her Bible and she starts flipping and she she gets here and, and she's like looking for it. And I was like, what are, you, what are you looking for? And she's like, I think it's in the Sermon on the Mount, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm so confused. What are you wanting to read me? And she starts talking about divorce. And I was like, oh. I think I know where she's going.
1: It's definitely in the Sermon on the Mount.
0: Yep. Um, I wasn't convinced that it was at first because I didn't remember it being there. It but is. It, it is. Um, and she finds it, and she says, oh, yeah. Oh. And she reads it. And she was like, in the context of infidelity, you can get a divorce? I've
1: never read that before. And I was like, yep. No, it says it. The crazier part is the section of the narrative, right? Or the section of the sermon right before it is one about those who commit the sin of lust. Yep. Commit sexual immorality. Yep. Which is pornea, which is sex things that are bad, which are also adultery. Yep. Which does kind of complicate the narrative. It does.
0: It really does. Um, and it, it creates this
1: huge, just. Uh, yep. It,
0: like, it, it's just this. It's mess.
1: a thing. It's a thing. So that's all there. And then you get to Paul. The big pressing point for Paul, and we talked about this on week one of this mini-series, that marriage, in my mind, is a sacrament because of the Christological metaphors that come tied to it. Paul puts marriage in the context of Christ, and therefore God, God's love and sacrifice for his people. Now, here's what you have the opportunity to do. This is a conversation about God and ethic. God never gave up on Israel. Jesus never gave up on the church. Jesus gave everything... For the church for his people and Paul puts marriage in that construct so here's the options you have before you and if you don't listen to a closer look I briefly went into this a little bit this week on a closer look because I'm going back and forth on whether or not my marriage is over just being fully honest the pain is very real of what I've went through. And so that makes it very hard for me to just walk away and say it's over. Um, but the Bible does permit it. And so here's your options. You can look at it and you can look at the narrative and you can say, look, Jesus gives me permission to leave. Kudos. Yes, he does. But you can look at the narrative as a whole. And here's the question I would have for you. Is by looking at the marriage as a whole, or the narrative as a whole, for all of the conversation around marriage, God hates divorce. God is also arguably the only person that can understand what it means to love someone so much Mm -hmm. and have them cheat on you. Because that's the other thing. It took me being cheated on to realize what cheating is. Cheating makes the person that's been cheated on the most expendable person on the face of the planet. Yeah, Because you can just easily be replaced by whoever. Doesn't that make a lot of sense why God calls them adulterous when they replace him with other gods?
0: Yeah. Which brings into the conversation another question, too, that kind of relates to practicing presence yesterday. Um, We were talking about money and the idea of putting money as a god and creating Mm -hmm. it. You can't serve two masters kind of deal. That doesn't just also have to be money.
1: Yeah, so it could go into idols. The conversation yeah. you're having is idols. Um, it very well could. And so with all of that, God understands the pain from con- that comes from being replaced in an adulterous kind of relationship. Yep. And so... He, in his infinite wisdom, can confidently say, hey, if this is too much for you, you can get out. Yep. But notice he never commands it. Hmm. He permits it, but does not command it. Yep. And then when you get to Paul, Paul says, do it as Christ loved the church. And what yeah. did Christ do for the church?
0: Made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave
1: up Everything. Yep. And so the question that's put before you, when you put the conversation of marriage in a narrative theology perspective, the place that I have arrived at is just because Jesus permits it doesn't mean it's what he wants. Yep. I don't think so. I think there are moments... And we're going to talk about this next week as we finish up this conversation in Richard's book. There are moments where a marriage no longer reflects Christ's love for the church. And that's mm-hmm. when we must say divorce is okay. And there's no stigma with it. Yep. There's grace for everything, including yep. divorce. If you are listening to this podcast and you are divorced, I would hope you would never feel this because I myself am currently going through one as much as like I struggle with accepting it. Divorce will never disqualify you from any level of service at Wellhouse Church. That's right. Our board member or our board is made up of of people, people, of more people that are divorced or going through divorce than those who have never been divorced. Yep. Our church is filled with divorced people. Divorce is a huge part of our culture and just the trauma and pain that we experience. But just like I would say there's grace for everything and no trauma disqualifies you. That's right. Divorce doesn't disqualify you. But I would also say that if you're if you're like me in this moment I would really challenge you to revisit the idea about whether or not you have truly been released from your marriage.
0: Mm.
1: Infidelity, adultery, no no matter what is going on, I would really challenge you to do this. Because also, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 9. Ephesians five, I mean, you, 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 Philippians two, right? All, all the things about the Christological metaphor that Paul seems to be pervasive through his theology, as it should be. All of it, all of it, is about the sacrificial love. It's about sacrificing of yourself for others it's a conversation about what christ has done for us and therefore what we're called to for others and that's because and i say this all the time i studied a lot of religions the thing that constantly draws me back to christianity is the beauty of God himself sacrificing for the people whom he made because they messed up. Mm. That love of all the Abrahamic religions, that love is unique to Christianity.
0: That's very true.
1: Of all the world religions, that love is unique to Christianity.
0: The Abrahamic religions, if you don't know, Encompasses Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Correct. Um, and this kind of love is unique specifically to Christianity. Yep. And that comes in the person of Jesus. Correct. Um, and
1: because of that... this is where narrative theology doesn't always get you the answer you want. Yeah. Because the narrative actually tells me. And then if you take Richard's idea that marriage is about discipleship and cruciformity, the narrative actually doesn't help you at all in getting out of your marriage. Nope. The narrative, if you read it for its trueness, actually keeps you in it, even in the midst of the infidelity.
0: Well, what it what it does, honestly, what it is, is it's a loophole.
1: Well, it's... And, and
0: the reason I say it that way is because when you take a loophole, it doesn't feel just. It doesn't feel
1: right. That's actually why I wouldn't call it a loophole. Because here's the deal. We're supposed to imitate Jesus. Yeah. We're supposed to imitate Christ.
0: But he's giving you the out. He's giving you the loophole.
1: Well, but that's the deal. We're not Jesus. We're mm. not Christ. We can't live up to that standard. If we could live up to that standard, he wouldn't have had to go to the cross.
0: Yeah, no, that's fair.
1: And so he himself and only him really knows that pain. Mm. What you're calling a loophole mm. Is pastoral care
0: Yeah I like that better It's God's
1: grace Upon his people who says Hey I know this pain And I know it impacts you In a way that People really will never understand Yeah, And so I'm letting you out If you must mm. But I'm not commanding that you get out Because I went through it, mm. and it And it shows my love All the more Because I endured it.